Welcome back to the Legal Digest podcast. This is your host, Natalie, and with me today is James Constable and Olivia Duncan. They're both solicitors at BP Collins and they co-host the Criminal Maze podcast. In this episode, we're going to explore the reasons behind the recent criminal barrister strikes being taken by members of the Criminal Bar Association. James specialises in criminal law and is a solicitor advocate. He has represented clients in the Magistrates Court, Crown Court and the Court of Appeal. Olivia specialises in criminal law and civil litigation, has represented clients in the Magistrates Court. In the Criminal Maze podcast, they speak to a range of professionals and take listeners on a fictional character's journey through the criminal justice system. Hi, James and Liv, how are you? Hi. Hello, yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you about the recent criminal barrister strikes and you're both solicitors, but you work closely with barristers so I'd like to get your perspective on it and I think a lot of people have misconceptions about barristers and solicitors as well and I think they picture them to be this kind of Harvey Specter kind of character but in reality I think it's quite different and now we're seeing criminal barristers leaving the profession um, and according to the Criminal Bar Association they've seen a drop in their income by 30% over the last two decades and then if you add to this the court closures um, over lockdown, which created a backlog of criminal cases, and that probably adds to the pressures that they're already facing. So before that, I thought it would be good to kind of just talk about what kind of work you do, um, because you both specialise in criminal law, even though you're not barristers, but kind of what is it that you do? So I am a solicitor advocate. I have a background in legal aid work, which I did for about nine years before moving to private practice. I worked in the Magistrates Court for about seven years and then did further exams for the higher rights of audience so I could appear in the Crown Court, dealing with anything from theft offences through to firearms offences and murders. And now there's lots of driving offences. So it is very varied. Okay, great, thanks. And Liv? Do you take a yeah. So I, um, I, I qualified as a lawyer quite recently. I did a different career before deciding to go into law. Um, and then I did um, a conversion course and the um, LPC, so qualified as a solicitor. And I mainly did civil work um, until pretty much until qualification and then working with James and John, um, who's another solicitor in BP Collins's criminal team. Um, really just was so intrigued by the work they did by by the clients that we had um and uh so now as you mentioned in your introduction I do both um and as James said the work that we get at this firm is is pretty varied um it's not a legal aid certified firm so we don't uh we don't uh take on legal aid clients um but it means that the uh, that doesn't really have too much of an impact on the range of work that we will have. Um, so, yeah, it's anything from driving offences at, at one end of the scale, although obviously really stressful for the person who's dealing with that, um, to, yeah, violent assault at the other. Um, and so we work in both the magistrates and Crown Courts. Um, yeah, as James said, because he's a sister advocate, he has rights of audience, higher rights of audience. Um, um, so whereas uh, I've only ever had to present in a in a magistrate's court scenario, James has obviously um, been on his feet in the court of appeal, which is a whole other ball game. 
Yeah, sounds like the kind of more meatier stuff as well. Yeah, and it's also you're being, was it three judges that you're in front of? Yeah, three judges. It is terrifying. Peppering you with questions <laughs> about case law. <laughs> yeah. You have to be fully prepared and have read all the case law before and just have like a line summary of each case so that when they ask you about something, you have something to say. Yeah. Oh, God. Pressure. um so you both kind of I guess you work closely with criminal barristers um so what would you say are the reasons why the criminal barristers are striking I think I think there's a number of reasons um there's issues of pay the legal aid rates haven't gone up for a number of years not not just for barristers but if you look at police station rates for an average police station attendant, you're probably being paid £200 through legal aid rates. And you could be in the police station for nine hours for an, for an offence. So if you work out, it's, it's just over £10 an hour, which is, is not that much when you're there advising someone, helping them potentially get out of the police station um, and defending their liberty. Uh, and that's not including costs as well. No. I mean, then you've got to the crown to the sorry, the magistrates court, you're looking at around £300 for a standard hearing and £700 for a trial. And a trial could last the whole day, and that's not just a day in court, you're looking at the preparation before. But for your listeners, when you first go to court, you're given disclosure by the prosecution, and that's the case they have against that defendant. So and it has a charge sheet, witness statements, previous convictions, and you read through that and then advise them on the strength and the weakness of the evidence. If they decide to plead not guilty, the prosecution have to serve you unused disclosure, which is anything that they've obtained during the investigation, which may either assist their case or undermine it. So you then look through the unused disclosure. If there's something in it, that you need, you draft a defence statement. You also have to take your client's instructions, any witnesses they may have, you speak to them as well, and then prepare for the trial, go to the trial, watch their interview, CCTV. It's hours and hours of work, and you're being paid £700 on legal aid rates. So for junior barristers, they cover the magistrates' court when they're starting out so they they don't they get paid a fraction of that from the solicitor instructing them so with transport costs going up they're essentially earning less per case they're doing there have also been other cuts over the years if you look between 2010 and 2019 half of the magistrates courts closed that doesn't just make it difficult for defendants traveling to court because they may have a court that's 20 miles away now from them and they're on benefits having to pay to go to court but also the barristers happen to travel there not just the cost of the travel itself but the amount of time it takes to travel to courts and lots of these courts are away from public transport routes or links there have been cuts in the number of people working in the court system. So there's not enough magistrates or judges to fill this, the, the hearings for, um, for each case, even though there's less courts, there's less people to work there. And there was a backlog before 
the pandemic, there are around 39,000 cases that hadn't been heard. And that doubled because of the pandemic, but there was a clear issue before because of the courts closing and one in five barristers since 2016 in the criminal sector have left because of the issues. So it's an issue that has a number of features, factors that needs to be addressed individually before the whole system is improved. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the negotiations that the CBA, the Criminal Bar Association have had, they are asking for a pay raise within the legal aid system of 25%, and that has not been met. And uh, yeah, without wanting to become too political about it, a lot, a lot of public services have um, suffered quite swinging cuts. Um, whether you believe that the reasons for that are justified or not is is, is each to their own opinion on that, but. Yeah, I think that for a long time, um, barristers and solicitors and people working, police officers, probation officers, people working within the criminal justice system have felt that they are working. Um, I mean, the correlation between what they're being paid and what the hours they are putting in is just is just becoming increasingly distorted. And um, it seems when you um, when you read the accounts of it that. Uh, that the system itself is being held together by people who are willing to work above and beyond never mind what's in their job description what what would almost seem like humanly possible when you look at the hours that people people work um yeah but as james said this it's multifaceted there's so many reasons for it yeah and i think the government recently agreed to a 15 percent uplift but it still doesn't seem like it's enough um i think Considering the amount of kind of work that they put into, you know, what goes on behind the scenes, it seems like it's not really enough. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the main issues with that fifteen percent, whether it whether it is actually a fifteen percent realistically uplift, is is um, it's been decided that 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 will only apply to um, new cases. So as James said, there is an enormous backlog of cases at the moment. Um, there are cases that barristers will have already taken instruction for, that they will be doing the work for or have done the work for, that have yet to go to trial, that will be ongoing, that will require further work. And those cases will not, as the kind of terms currently stand, won't fall into that new bracket of an uplifted 15%. So when you see an actual um, realization of that uplift maybe years down the line so yeah, yeah there's lot, lots of issues <laughs> <laughs> I mean pay is definitely I guess one of the main drivers behind this behind the strikes um, and I think most people don't understand how pay is structured for barristers so could you tell us how how they're actually paid because I think you said to me before that they're only, only actually receiving a salary in the first year uh, yeah, as I said, most most barristers uh, are um, receive a salary in their pupillage year, um, but not beyond that. Beyond that, they would be essentially self-employed um, within a chambers. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I've never never worked as a barrister, so I wouldn't like to say too much. Portion of these is is not much. I, I've heard for bail applications, it's fifty pounds. And that's for travel time, appearing at the hearing, preparing it. Uh, it it's, it's not much at all. 
No, it's not. And I think um, just looking back at the lawyer magazine reported sort of the percentages and how much um, they earn. And they said that juniors received an average wage of 12,000 a year and only 2% of criminal barristers earn 1 million per year and 12% and less than 30,000. It's, it's amazing the number of law students I've spoken to who have the misconception that you can only appear and represent clients in court if you're a barrister and they don't understand yeah. that solicitors can do the same. I mean, since the 90s, 1990s, solicitors have been able to undertake high rights of audience and we can appear in Crown Courts, Courts of Appeal, exactly the same as a barrister, but it's just a different route to qualification. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the Criminal Bar, Bar Association report that barristers are leaving the profession. Um, so these people that go through a very long training process and there's a huge cost to it. If we end up with not enough criminal barristers, how do you think it will affect the criminal justice system? <laughs> I think, yeah, if you're looking at, like James said now, you've got this massive backlog. You've got, when you look at the, the reasons behind the CBA's members' decision to go on strike, it is not least because the system is, it lacks in so many areas where you don't have, there was a decision made, which has since been reversed, to only have courts open for a certain number of hours a week. Um, the belief being that you could reduce overheads of like court staff, like clerks and ushers. Um, but the result, you know, a kind of consequence of it was that you could only hear a certain number of trials so that the caseload, the backlog just increased and increased. So that's a repercussion of having a, a lack of court time, a lack of uh, a lower number of people employed in the, in the, in the courts themselves. The barristers losing the kind of nightmare scenario, which I think does now happen where you've got a court, you've got a judge, you've got um, court staff that are there, but you don't have enough barristers so you know that people are just left waiting it's now a waiting time of years between um, an accusation allegations being brought charges being pressed and the defendant and the witness having their days in court that's the thing it's not it's not just the defendants you got to think about the victims of crime who have have been a victim or you know been assaulted witness these things and have to relive them a year a year and a half later and be pressed on by barristers cross-examining them it's, it's just it's, it's not justice for ju the defendant or the witnesses yeah mm. exactly um and so as solicitors in criminal law how has that backlog affected your work because that must be adding to your pressure as well so for for magistrate scorings during the pandemic it affected us in terms of police station matters because for summary only offenses so matters that can only be heard in the magistrate's court the police have six months from the commission of the offence to lay in the information in court and lots of offences were missing those deadlines and being dropped. Now we're seeing cases in court which are being listed even in the magistrates courts you know, the end of the year, six, seven months, even 12 months after the first time it's been in court for the trial. So it does have an impact, not as I say, not just on the defendant, but also on the victims. But that just kind of brings me on to the other important point, which is that anybody can kind of be swept up into this, into the criminal justice system. Um, and there's an example which I recently came across um, in the media, and that's the French AC Milan football player, Bakayoko. 
um, who was um, stopped by Italian police and held at gunpoint um, in Milan after the police claimed that they mistook him for someone else. And they argued that it wasn't a racist attack, but he claims that it was and that the media didn't publish the full video of his interrogation. So if you think about if that happened in the US, I guess it would be a totally different scenario, much more heavy handed approach. Um, and this is an example of someone who can afford representation as well. So for people that can't afford representation and can't have access to legal aid, what um, would you say are the challenges that the court faces where there is a litigant in person? And also what difficulties does the litigant in person themselves face in court? That's such a good question. I'm going to I'm going to let James take the lead on it because he's I mean, have you faced litigants in person? I haven't, but I can imagine it's difficult because the terminology used in court isn't easy to follow. The, the process in applying for documents and disclosure isn't easy, even for a solicitor with the prosecution on the other side. I can only imagine how difficult it is for a litigant person to try and do it themselves. And that, yeah, definitely that chasm between or that kind of um, void in between, as you said, like people that don't... Um, are not capable of or not considered um, right to receive legal aid, but cannot afford representation. I think that the, the people in that pocket is, is probably going to grow. Um, and it also, I mean, as the, the kind of anecdotal story you just told as well, it's, it's, a, it's the person who is either the defendant or the, well, the defendant in this instance, where it be a litigant person, it's such, a, it's such an emotive experience that they're going through. And, it, it doesn't seem that that, uh, that that really fits with like the process of the courtroom, which is um, obviously there are emotions that run high within certain like, players on that stage. But the point is that you have an officer of the court, whether that's a solicitor advocate or a barrister that is able to like channel the correct information, be a kind of vehicle between like the actual key players, the victims, the witnesses, the defendants, and then the, the judge and the jury, the courtroom itself. Once that's removed, I feel like it's a pretty central part of the way the criminal justice system was set up to work. Um, so it does make it difficult to see how that's really a level playing field, you know. And more people are going to fall within that, that bracket because the cost of legal aid I think it's around 12, 12 and a half thousand pounds. So if you earn more than that, you're considered able to pay for legal representation, which is crazy considering it's a thousand pounds a month to live on, and then you're expected to be able to pay for representation as well. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a scary prospect because I think anybody could end up being in court. You could be a victim, you could be wrongly accused, like the example I just gave. Um, mm. And so <clears throat> I suppose this is quite a big question, but it brings me on to the last mm. question, which is, what do you think are the, is the main thing that needs to change about the way that <laughs> the criminal justice system kind of operates, whether that's, <laughs> um, you know, barristers or judges or police? What do you think is the main kind of obstacle? It's a difficult question. <laughs> the answer is always going to come back to funding because if you can fund more court centres, more judges and encourage more people to become barristers, 
less people to quit the criminal um, legal system area, then you're going to get through more cases and there will be speedy justice, as the government said they wanted a few years ago. Um, the magistrate, sorry, the, the Crown Court works in a way that they use warned lists. So they list some trials as fixtures, so they have to take place or they're meant to take place on the day that's fixed. Others are given a two-week window that the case could be called into court at any point. And you only find out the day before about four o'clock, 4.30, if your case is going to be in court the next day. So the working practice of barristers are always going to be working late at night with little time to prepare cases. I can't see any way of that changing unless the Crown Court start fixing every single trial like we did in the magistrate's court. But then it loses some of the agility that like, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really good question. It's a really, uh, it's impossible to answer in some ways. <laughs> I think, because James has obviously had so much more experience than I have uh, on his feet, like in, 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 in the courtroom. I think from, from my perspective, I sometimes think that um, it's not so much a change that I would have within the criminal justice system, but it's something that you um, referred to earlier or implied earlier, which is that just a, a greater understanding in like society of what the criminal justice system does, who, who does what within it and what it takes to get that job done and what it, and what it means, um, what, why it is important to everybody else because as you said in your previous question anybody can anybody can become swept up in the criminal justice system anybody can be wrongly accused and unless you're unless and until you're in that position I think it's really difficult for most people to imagine that that could ever happen to them or that it could be their child or their partner that was the victim of a crime and luckily it is a tiny percentage of the population that ever does have that experience but that means that everybody else who is fortunately outside of the criminal justice system there's no need to and not really very much incentive to understand how it works and that makes it difficult then to kind of uh to 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 build a momentum to address like why these why these things need to be addressed like james said it always it all comes down to funding and i think if 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 there was more understanding of what was done and why it was done and why it matters um perhaps that that um argument would be easier to put forward i mean maybe that comes back to the responsibility of media because mm, yeah. lots of newspapers websites report that a defendant's been in court and they've received x tens of thousands of pounds in legal aid and that's not actually what happens mm. And I think maybe if it's reported properly and people actually understand what happens within the criminal justice system, which is a closed system, then maybe there would be more support to the, the barristers. They're striking and something may be done further down the line. You're so yeah. right. Like that, that image of like, that the papers will publish of, you know, as if the defendant himself has pocketed a hundred thousand pounds and then, you know, the kind of greedy barrister or greedy sister or whatever it's taken a chunk of it. And it's, it's so, um, so distorted, you know? Yeah, yeah. So distorted and just um, kind of comparing though with solicitors, because I mean, the media has reported that, um, NQs in the magic circle firms are on a record high of 179,000, um, which is 
the highest NQ salaries have ever been. But mm. that's just in corporate law. It's not all solicitors. So if you're comparing barristers entering the profession compared to solicitors, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound very fair that someone. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think the way that it's viewed in the media is so different to reality and people enter the profession not understanding the realities either and even in your question you kind of highlight it's like and like James said it's a closed system it's an opaque uh, area it's an opaque profession like unless I'd say you know for a lot of people unless you know your parents or your parents friends or you go to a school where you've got you know teachers that suggest this to you who knows what solicitors do? Who knows what barristers do? They all get bumped into like this big uh, soup pot of a lawyer, but they have very different roles with very different salary expectations and career trajectories and working hours and work-life balances. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, it is like comparing apples and oranges when you've got like what an NQ solicitor earns versus what a pupil barrister earns. They're completely different. Well, I mean, that's why we started our podcast and yeah. to try and open, sh show people what the criminal justice system, like, criminal justice system is like, something that most people will never see or understand, because all you see in the paper is that this person got arrested, and then six, seven months later, they got six years in prison. You know nothing about the investigation, the amount of work that's put into by solicitors and barristers, paralegals, trainees, the judges, everyone in the court system. And it's important for people to understand the amount of work and hours that goes into each case, even for a shoplifting case. Yeah. The number of hours you have to watch CCTV I think if people understood that, they'd be a lot more sympathetic for the strikes. Yeah. And there's a, a certain, you know, quite a lot of responsibility on barristers to do a good job because ultimately that person could end up going to prison and that's life changing for that person. That's always going to be on their record. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting um, discussion. Thank you for joining me today. That brings us to the end of the episode. Um, and don't forget that if you want to listen to the Criminal Maze podcast, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions about the topics we covered today, you can email us or contact us on social media.